give a warm welcome to everyone to evening worship, both to those in the church here and to those who are joining with us online. Let's begin our worship by singing to God's praise in Psalm number 61. It's found on page 293 of the Psalter, and it's at the beginning of the song, O God, give ear unto my cry, and to my prayer attend. From the utmost corner of the land my cry to thee I'll send. What time my heart is overwhelmed and in perplexity, do thou me lead unto the rock that higher is than I. We'll sing down to the end of the verse marked 5, Psalm 61 at the beginning. O God, give ear unto my cry.
Now let's join together in prayer. Let's pray. Eternal God, we thank you that it is possible for us to cry out to you and astonishingly you hear us. We have rebelled against you in so many ways and we have rebelled against you over such long periods of time and yet you bend the knee and you listen to our cry. We think of Israel of old in bondage in Egypt for many, many years. And they cried out to you. And you did utterly astonishing things for them. You took them out of that land. And at this time of Easter that coincides with Passover, we realize that you took them away from that captivity and that bondage and ultimately led them to the land of Israel. We thank you that in the spiritual realm you still operate in such a way that we cry out to you from the depths of our need and you release us and you bring us into a freedom that is way beyond anything this world can afford us. O Lord our God, for those of us who have tasted and seen that God is good, we pray that our response to you in our daily lives would be an appropriate acknowledging of you that we would give you your place. But even as we utter such a prayer, we feel a deep sense of shame because we know the double standards we operate with so often and we know how often we fail you. But we remember that this covenant you have made with mankind is a covenant that can deal with sins if we confess our sins. You are faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that means that our path of repentance and our path of, rep of confession is a well-trodden path. It's a daily trodden path. But may we remember that the mercy of God is sufficient for us wherever we may be and whatever we might do. We pray that as we sing these songs we would listen to the words. You are described as the rock in it. And we live in a world of such uncertainty and so much chaos. We thank you that we can find stability in you and in you alone. We pray that you'd remember us not only as individuals but as families. We pray that you'd remember us as a congregation and as a denomination. We pray that you'd remember the church in this nation. We indeed pray for the nation itself at a time of unsettlement and instability. We have so turned against you. But we pray that you'd have mercy on us and that you'd come in amongst us and do us good and that you'd give resolution and backbone to those who have stood up and stood out and spoken on your behalf in recent times. We think in particular of Kate and we pray that you'd give her and the family the strength they need at this uh, time. 
We look around this world where there are so many people in positions of power and influence who are abusing that and we pray that they would be brought to naught and that you raise up amongst us those that would honour the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that another image of you in the song that we've been just singing is that of of the mother hen stretching out her wing and giving protection and a covering for those who will flee under it. These are wonderful insights from nature that you give us of yourself. So much of our time is spent in fear and dread of you because we are who we are and we forget that you are who you are. We forget the revelation you have given to us of yourself. But may we remember it this night. Indeed, may we remember it all our days. We pray for those who would be with us this night if they could, but who cannot. We thank you that there are other means whereby they can join with us. But we pray, O Lord, for everyone associated with our church. All our families, wherever they might be this night, across the globe, please have mercy on them and protect them. May the shadow of your wing cover them and may they trust in you as their own Saviour. We pray that you'd be with us now and that you'd enable us to worship you in spirit and in truth. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now let's sing again to God's praise. This time it's Psalm number 86, and it's at verse 8. That's page 341 of the Psalter. Lord, there is none among the gods that may with thee compare. And like the works which thou hast done, not any work is they. All nations whom thou madest shall come and worship reverently before thy face. And they, O Lord, thy name shall glorify. We'll sing verses 8 to 13 of Psalm 86. Lord, there is none among the gods. <coughs>
let's read God's word as we find it in the gospel according to St. Luke and at chapter 24 and we'll read at the beginning of the chapter. But on the first day of the week at early dawn they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb but when they went in they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this behold two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground the men said to them Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other woman with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in he saw the linen cloths by themselves and he went home marvelling at what had happened. That very day two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped he would be the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, 
for it is towards evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they arose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms may be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem you are witnesses of these things and behold I am sending the promise of my father unto you But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany. And lifting up his hands he blessed them. While he blessed them he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. They worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And were continually in the temple blessing God. Amen, and may God bless to us that reading from his word. Let's join together again in prayer. Let's pray. O Lord, our God, as we have read that passage of scripture, again we have come across people who were trembling at the knee and who were so fearful. These people who had been with Jesus for three years, who had heard the world's most marvellous of sermons, and who had even witnessed many of the miracles of Christ, indeed men who were endowed with the Spirit of God that enabled them themselves to perform miracles, and yet they trembled with fear. And we are so often so full of fear. But may we remember your words are, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And they were so afraid because 
They had misread the whole situation. They thought their hopes and dreams and aspirations were in complete smithereens. But the very thing that got them so down is the one and the same thing that will fill their souls when Christ opens to them the scriptures. And we pray this night that as we turn to explore your word that you would come in amongst us and by your spirit you would do us good and that you would open our eyes to things that may be completely depressing us tonight but ought to be doing the very opposite. We pray that we would have the right perspective on things because so often our perspective is that, our perspective. But may we see things from your perspective. And may we rest confident in the one who will indeed scoop us up under his wing. We pray that all the difficulties we face that almost seem to destroy us would cause us to flee to you and to stand on the rock afresh and to be invigorated anew this night from drinking from the deep wells of your word. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now let's sing again to God's praise. This time it's Psalm 16 and that's found on page page 16 of the Psalter it's at the beginning of the song protect me O my God you are my refuge true I said you are my Lord I have no good apart from you the godly in the land for holiness renowned they are the glorious ones in whom all my delight is, uh, is found we'll sing verses 1 to 6 of Psalm 16 protect me Oh my God. <laughs>
Now let's turn to the passage we've read in the Gospel according to St. Luke chapter 24. And we're going to read again the words of the two on the road to Emmaus. Verse 32. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us eh, the scriptures? Now let's, by God's enabling, seek to explore something of this uh, area of Scripture. We're continuing with the Easter theme that we've been on for some time. And the three things I want to say a little bit about tonight are, first of all, spiritual depression. The second thing I want to say something about is an unexpected visitation from none other than Christ himself. And the third thing I want to say a little bit about is a fuller insight. Because these people saw something that they hadn't seen before. And it did something to the very core of their uh, souls. But the first thing I want to speak about is the subject of uh, spiritual uh, depression. Now you might well say, well... This isn't a case of spiritual depression. Well, it all depends on what you're talking about. Now, I realize that there are some Christians who are in a state of spiritual depression and has been like that for a long, long time. Sometimes you get people experiencing a real low. They're genuine Christians. There's no question about that, although there may be questions in their own minds because that's the whole thrust of the enemy of our souls. He doesn't want us to believe that Christ is who he says he is, nor does he want us to believe that we ourselves are uh, Christians. And his strategy comes in all different shapes and, uh, and forms. And you know to the person that has been attacked by the enemy of their souls and they're being given real questions in their minds, you know, I don't know if I'm a Christian. I don't know how many times people say that to me. And actually, I don't know how many times I say it to myself. What do you do in a situation like that when the enemy is attacking? Well, you know, one of the things I say to people is this. If you're full of doubts, and that's where you are, I tell you what, just walk away from it all. Walk away from the existence of God, and if you can't do that, then if you acknowledge that there is a God, but you're not a believer, just walk away from it all. Shut your Bible, stop going to church, have nothing more to do with the people of God, have nothing more to do with the day of God. And they look at you in horror, and they say, I can't do that. And you say to them, why can't you do that? And the reason they can't do that is because they are genuine Christians. They may be low in the water. They may be experiencing spiritual depression. And they may have been there for a long period of time. But they are the genuine article. They believe in God. They believe that they are sinners. They believe that God has sent Jesus in this world to sort out the mess they're in. They believe all these things. They believe in a hell that they will end up in if they die Christless. And they believe in a heaven that they can only get in to by sheer gift of grace. 
And they believe all these things because they are the genuine article, although they may be really, really struggling. But this issue of spiritual depression is very broad. Some people are in that state for a long, long period of time. But we have read of these people as they make their way from the city of Jerusalem to the town or village of Emmaus that they looked sad. And you think, why did they look sad? If you see a person and they're looking sad, they are looking sad because on the inside they are sad. And you know, you look at the face of a person and the face of a person will tell you many, many stories. Now it is true that we are masters of the art of deception. That we are masters of trying to pretend to one another that we are what we are not. And so you meet somebody and you say hello to them and you ask them how they are and they smile and they say they're fine and they've been spiritually depressed for months, maybe even years and they're telling you a bare-faced lie. But their spiritual depression is such that they can't afford to tell you the actual reality because they don't want to go near it. They just want to get you on your way. And so we have, we, have, we have engineered coping mechanisms to, to deal with situations that come our way. And we are our masters of that. So we can pretend to one another. And we're good at it. And we can pretend to ourselves. And we often do that. And we often try to pretend to God, except that's where the whole deck of cards falls to bits. Because you can't pretend to God. You simply can't. But if you look at someone's face, sometimes they're not pretending at all. And the face will tell you what's going on in the experience. These people were sad. Because on the inside they're sad. I said this morning, of these women that took themselves to the tomb of Jesus, their hearts were in their boots. These people, you know, I think I've said this often from this pulpit, but there was a predecessor of mine here for 42 years, the Reverend Walter Macquarie, and, and he was absolutely convinced that they were husband and wife. I'm not sure. Whether it was two men or a man and a woman, we just know that one of them was called uh, Cleopas. But whoever they were, that's not a vital, I don't think that's of vital importance. What we're picking up on is that these people were indeed, uh, they were indeed sad. And we've got to ask this question, why on earth were they, were they sad? And the reason was clear. They'd gone up to Jerusalem for a Passover. And Jerusalem, a very, very religious city. And still today, I, I mentioned this morning that you can go on YouTube and you can watch what's happening at the Wailing Wall just now. They're there in their droves at the Wailing Wall. Uh, people engaging in religious uh, activity 
Now many of these people will be Jewish people who are still waiting for the Messiah to come. They're still waiting for the Christ to come. We're here tonight and we are not waiting. And we are not waiting because he's already come. He has already come. Now these people encountered this Jesus. Now it's true that they knew certain things about him. But right now they are sad. Because they haven't grasped who the individual that they no doubt would have called Jesus of Nazareth. They they haven't grasped fully who he was and what he was. They knew he was significant. They knew he was a teacher. They knew he was a prophet. And all of these things are true. But they had worked out in their minds that things were going to turn out in a way that was different to the way that they actually did turn out. And the major thing was this. They did not expect this individual to die. They thought that all their hopes and all their dreams and all their aspirations, we thought he was going to be the one who was going to redeem Israel. Well, alas, he did redeem Israel. But it's a dead saviour it takes to redeem Israel. And it's a dead saviour it takes to redeem Israel because Israel has a problem and the problem that Israel has is it's got sin. And that's what it takes to deal with the ugly issue of sin. But they've not grasped that. They can't see that. At least they can't see that right now. And so these people are sad and they are depressed. Now they may not have been depressed for a long period of time. We just don't know. But it is a case of spiritual depression. Why do I say that? Because it is clear as we read through this passage of scripture. That they are God's people. And that they are spiritually alive. Because at the end of the day. When Jesus comes alongside and he manifests to them. From the scripture who he was. And what must take place. Their hearts are burning within them. But we'll come to that eh, by and by. So these are spiritual people. They are spiritual people who are really down. They are spiritual people whose hearts are in in their boots. That's the way it is for the two on the road to Emmaus. But my second point is this, an unexpected visitation. And of all the people in the world who come alongside these two people, I think probably the last person they would have expected was Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus is dead. They know that. He died on the cross on Good Friday. He was entombed. And there were so, so many witnesses to that. And the great stone was rolled to the entrance of the tomb. It's all over. It's done and dusted. And that's why they are on a real, real low. Now it is interesting. The people that Jesus chose to bless 
almost immediately after his resurrection with an appearance. Let's take, for example, Mary Magdalene. Do you know, if you and I had to guess, who are you going to choose to have an appearance of Jesus hard on the heels of his resurrection? I don't think we would have chosen any of them. Mary Magdalene, out of whom Jesus cast seven devils, that woman had a history. That woman had a reputation at the end of the day. We all have histories. And we all have reputations. But after seven devils are cast out, surely it's not going to be Mary Magdalene. But for whom Christ does much, then there is as a result much love. And therefore Mary Magdalene loves this Jesus. Maybe that's part of the reason why Mary Magdalene is there on her own in the garden with him. And he's the first. She's the first that he appears eh, appears to. But even amongst the disciples, if I were to ask you, right, choose amongst, okay, Judas is a body. He's out of the equation. There are 11 remaining. Tell me which one he's going to appear eh, before. My guess is that most of us would go, would go for John. Now, it's not that John didn't forsake Jesus. He did. They all forsook him. They all fled. You know, when Jesus appears to these disciples in that locked room in Jerusalem, they are in a locked room for a very specific reason. They are still terrified. If the religious authorities can pull in the secular authorities to execute Jesus so unjustly in the way that they've done, we can be exposed to the same. They're flesh and blood. They've got families and children and friends, and they are terrified. And that's why when Jesus appears, the first thing he says to them is, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And I think we've got to get this into our minds. That this is the God, this is the Jesus who knows us intimately inside out. He knows when we're trembling. He knows when we're afraid. And he can come with a word of comfort. And he can come with a word of solace. Just like he did to these uh, disciples in that locked room. But it's not John. It's not John. Well, who is it? Well, if John would be our first choice, and I think that's what we would go for a lot of us, who would be our last choice? I think our last choice would be the man who with curses and with oaths denied knowing Jesus three times over. I don't know the man. And yet, Peter gets a one-on-one with Jesus on resurrection morn but I wonder if this has got something to do with it that there's a moment that the eyes of Jesus meet meet the eyes of Peter in that courtyard and Peter saw on the face of Jesus something that changed him completely and utterly because he's no longer the resolute liar But he went out and he wept bitterly. 
He went out into the back streets of a cold Jerusalem city and he wept and he wept bitterly. And I think these were tears of repentance and alongside the repentance I have no doubt there would be confession. And maybe that's part of the equation as to why. He has a one-on-one with Jesus. But here are this pair heading for Emmaus. They're not exactly the epitome of joy. They're not exactly a paradigm for us all to follow because they're way off beam in their assessment of what has happened. And maybe in our minds we would think, well, why on earth would Jesus come alongside these two who aren't exactly functioning the way that you would hope believers would function in? Well, that is what he did. That is what he did. He comes alongside with with an unexpected visitation. And you know, at first... At first they haven't a clue who he is. And he's saying to them, and it's very interesting this, Jesus is asking questions and he knows exactly what the answers are. So you say to yourself, well what's he asking the questions for? He's not going to benefit from the answers because he already knows the answers. Yeah, but he's asking questions that they're going to get a benefit from. Because he's going to make them think. And he's going to make them ponder. Why are you so sad? And what are you talking about? Don't you know what's happened in Jerusalem these last few days? And he's saying, what things? What things are you talking about? Now here is an astonishing thing. The things that they are talking about, Jesus is core to. He's central to. It's he who hung on the cross at Calvary. It's he who was entombed by Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. It's he who has gone to the grave. It's he who was well and truly dead. And he knows all that. He knows it inside out. And they're baffled. They're baffled by his lack of a knowledge. Now by and by, he ends up going into the home of these people. And we read that he's known to them in the breaking of bread. And there are some people who understand that they engaged in communion there, that uh, it was uh, the bread and wine of communion. But... uh, That's not what's happening here. They are just having a meal together. Now how did they know? Well, some people speculate and say that in the breaking of bread they saw the nail marks in his hands. Maybe that's true, but if it is, I think maybe that's only part of it. Because the Spirit of God is operating in the lives and the experience of these men. The Spirit of God is operating. And they move on from not knowing him at all to realizing it's him. And it's not just a case of it's Jesus. It's a living, vibrant, throbbing, speaking, interacting Jesus 
that's in our midst and the thrill of it all just surged through the very core of their being which leads me on to my third point which I said was a fuller a fuller insight now let's try to impart the fuller insight a little bit do you remember when Jesus was tempted by the devil 40 days and 40 nights the devil is coming at him trying to destroy him do you remember with his answer to it all lay in the word of God the, he didn't have the New Testament then he had the Old Testament but the Old Testament was sufficient for Jesus to deal with the enemy of his soul we don't just have an Old Testament we have a New Testament we, we need to know what's in this book we need to know because the enemy will come at us and will hammer the living daylights out of us if he can but if we can answer them from the word of God if we resist the devil he will flee from us there is nothing that will cause the devil to be resisted more than the word of the living of the living a God and here we are there are people engaging in spiritual they're experiencing spiritual depression on the road to Emmaus but they have a visitation of Jesus they have a visitation of Jesus and he gives them insight what does he give them insight to he gives them insight to the scriptures he takes them through this now of course he can't take them through all of the scriptures from Genesis to Malachi now Malachi is not the last book of the old Hebrew Old Testament it's, it's Chronicles they're in a different arrangement in our version but that's not the point he takes them to the Old Testament and he shows them from the Old Testament that this person they thought was going to live and continue living and in continuing to live would redeem Israel is not going to redeem Israel in that way at all but he takes them and he shows them that the Messiah is a Messiah who's going to be slaughtered he is led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before a shearer is dumb so he openeth not his mouth wounded for our transgressions bruised for our iniquities and the chastisement of our peace is upon him and what does it take to get peace in the souls of these two people they need to understand this that the horror and the ugliness of sin is such that there needs to be death do you remember what God said to Adam and Eve at the outset in the garden of Eden the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die to eat thereof was to rebel against God to eat thereof was sin that's what sin needs in order for it to be washed away death but here's the glory of the gospel not your death or my death or not necessarily your death or my death if we die in our sins then it will be your death and my death but we don't need to die in our sins we have a substitute who dies in our place and in our stead and that's who Jesus is 
And that's what Jesus does. And that's what these people grasped that day alongside Jesus. And that's what causes them to say, did not our hearts burn within us as he talked to us by the way and opened to us the scriptures? And you know, as it goes on, this um, passage of uh, scripture talks about not only Christ being in the law and in the prophets, but also in the Psalms. Now, it's important that we pick up on that, that the inspired writer included the Psalms. You know, we sung this morning a psalm written a thousand years before Jesus died that talks so accurately of what happened at Calvary. The cry of Jesus to God, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The talks of the bulls of Bashan, strong bulls surrounding him with venom and and antagonism. That talks of hands and feet being pierced. I wonder did Jesus take the two on the road to Emmaus to that very psalm? Because if he did, they must have been absolutely astonished that it takes the piercing of the hands and the feet and it takes a cry my God, my God why hast thou forsaken me and it takes ultimately the death of Jesus to deal with the issue of their sin they didn't grasp that (coughs) previously That's why they were sad. That's why their hearts were not burning within them. But right now, our hearts are burning within us. Why? Because he's talked to us by the way. And he has opened to us uh, the scriptures. To many others, as well as those on the road to Emmaus, Calvary was a disaster. Just a disaster. But it wasn't a disaster, was it? It was not a disaster. Because on the third day, there is the empty tomb. He rises triumphantly over the grave and over death. How does he manage to do it? Well, he's enabled by the Spirit of God, but ultimately it's got to do with this. He has fulfilled every remit that the eternal God gave him to do. He's done everything for you if you're a believer here tonight, and if I'm a believer too. He's done it all for us. And just as we spoke this morning about the faith of these women being flawed in this respect... That they still think he's a dead Jesus. Although he had told them many a time he would rise again on the third day. And they're only the flaw of their faith. These people have flawed faith as well. These people are dejected and depressed and sad. Because their faith is flawed. They did not believe Jesus in the way that they should have believed Jesus. Now I'm not saying we would have done any better. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is this. Despite all their flaws, 
These people are children of God. It's spiritually depressed they were because they are spiritual beings and because they are spiritual beings they can go from one end of the spectrum to the next from being really sad to having their hearts burning within them and of course we've just explored what caused the difference Christ took them to the scripture and showed them that it was all in the plan it was all in the plan God created this universe. God created you and I. God knew we would be fallen beings. And God sent his only begotten son into this world. To live and to die and to rise again. As a remedy for your plight and mine. We should rejoice afresh in that this night. And may God grant that that's what we would all do. Amen. Let's pray. O Lord our God, we pray that we would come to your word and that we would find stability in it and we would find answers to all our anxieties and fears and depressions. We pray that you'd be with us as we have entered into this new week. Watch over us and our loved ones wherever we might take ourselves to. Bless us all. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now let's conclude by singing to God's praise from the same psalm, Psalm 16, at verse 7. That's page 17 of the Psalter. I'll praise the Lord my God, whose counsel guides my choice. And even in the night my heart recalls instructions, voice. Before me constantly I set the Lord alone, because he is at my right hand, I'll not be overthrown. We'll sing verses 7 to 11. I'll praise the Lord my God.
Now may grace, mercy, and peace 